0: And uh, there's a lot of places in Scripture uh, that are uh, more positive. They are uplifting. They are encouraging. And I'm thankful for those. And uh, tonight it's uh, going to be a little different. Be, be going to be we're going to cover some hard, hard subject tonight. And um, but I'm thankful to be here. I have uh, studying this lesson and trying to come up with um, what we would have to bring. It uh, definitely had a lot of prayer and meditation in this, and I'm thankful for the church for allowing us to come this way, and the committee. And uh, as we get into the Word of God tonight, <clears throat> again, uh, as a as a disclaimer. This is going to be some, we're going to talk about some hard things. And so, I just want to put that out there. It may bring up some emotions that um, you haven't had about certain things and and subjects. I know when I have studied through this, there's periods of time that my blood was boiling. And, uh, and so, as we get into this tonight, I, I just hope and pray that, that the Lord would give us knowledge and be able to use these things for his honor and glory. <clears throat> so, as we get into this, this is a subject of Tamar, Dave, King David's daughter. And the scripture reading we're going to read from is Second Samuel, in the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 22. 2 Samuel 13, 1. and it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat. And dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar my sister come, and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house, and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. He was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, "Have out all men from me," and they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, "Bring the meat unto the chamber that I may eat of thy hand." And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. When she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king. For he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but, being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil and sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me but he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out for me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of divers colors upon her, for with such robes were king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went a-crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard all of these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon, because he had forced his sister Tamar. A little bit of background and kind of a a summary of the account. I'm going to do a little bit of reading. This account is placed in history around the year 975 BC. Tamar is the daughter of King David and Mayaka. She is Absalom's full sister and half sister to Amnon, who is David's firstborn son. And as a reference point. Uh, Solomon was a young child during this period. The name Tamar means palm tree. And the scriptures say that she was a virgin and that she was fair, as the King James states. Literally translated, that means beautiful. Amnon had a cousin whom he considered his friend named Jonadab. And Amnon told Jonadab about his desire for Tamar. And Jonadab devised a plan on how to get her alone with Amnon. Amnon pretended to be sick and asked his father to allow Tamar to come and make food for him in his dwelling place. So Tamar went to care for her assumed-to-be sick brother and made bread in his presence. She presented the bread to him and he refused to eat and instead sent out all the men in the house. He asked her to come bring the food to him at his bedroom, his bedside, and took hold of her. And he asked her to lay with him. She attempted to refuse and gave pleas of reasoning as to why this would not be appropriate and even offered to to willingly be his by asking the king first. He refused all of these things which she suggested, and being stronger than she, fulfilling his lust, he raped her. After the incident, Amnon was filled with hatred towards Tamar, so much so that hatred was greater than the lust that he had for her in the first place. He ordered her to get up and leave, and Tamar again tried to reason with him to not send her away for the public shame and disgrace that would be caused to her, and he didn't listen. He ordered his servants to put her out and lock the door. Tamar rent her garment, put ashes on her head, and went away crying to her brother Absalom's house. Absalom knew something terrible happened, and he asked if she had been violated then told her to keep quiet because Amnon is her brother, to not speak about this horrific act. She remained in a devastated state in her brother's house. And Absalom hated Amnon for this act that was done to his sister. And when her father, King David, heard of what happened, he became very angry. So I felt the need... uh, to kind of go in a little bit of character dive into the people that were involved in this. And to me, if you just focus on Tamar alone, I think we're going to be missing a lot. And the terribleness that happened to her. And so as we look at at some of uh, what took place, I think you're going to see that this is just a terrible, terrible scene on all fronts so, as we get into this, Amnon, we kind of gave him a, little, a few titles here, Amnon the Aggressor. Amnon was consumed by lust. He was vexed by it, even to the point that he allowed it to occupy his thoughts and actions. When presented with a way to fulfill his lust, he put his desire into action. He was weak and easily swayed by terrible advice. Despite Tamar's logic and reasoning, he refused to delay his desire and forced his will on her. And after the sinful act, he then became filled with hate towards her, insomuch that his hatred was exceedingly more than the lust which he desired her. I believe he acted against what he knew to be right. His passion and guilt turned to hatred, as if he now viewed her as the cause of his own moral failure. He should have taken responsibility for his actions but did not. And I think it's, you know, I didn't even need to put this on here because I think it's very obvious that he should not have done what he did. There is no good, there is no justification uh, that could ever be had. He should not have acted upon his lustful desire. Jonadab the Influencer. Jonadab. He was a cunning man, Scripture says, who provided advice to Amnon that gave him a way to fulfill the desire of his lustful heart. So he was an accomplice in this. He was guilty. He can certainly be considered as a type of Satan, in my perspective, as I view it. Satan himself is cunning being who, through language and other means, he uh, provides ways to tempt and fulfill the desires of man's heart. And I think we have this example as we see uh, there in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came and he tempted Adam and Eve, and we know what happened with that. He is the father of lies and he is a liar. We also see this play out in the temptation of Jesus there in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, when he tempted Jesus and he was using all that he could. He was using God's own word against Jesus, and of course, we know that that was a futile move on his attempt, but Jesus shone through with that temptation. Had Jonadab been a godly man... The advice given would have been for Amnon to recall the law, see his sin, repent of it, and remove himself from her at all costs. That did not happen. Now Absalom, this is the revenge seeker. Absalom was the first to know about Amnon's horrific sin against her sister, or their sister. He saw how broken Tamar was and told her to keep this to herself. And I'd say in this view, and this is, this is speculative, we don't know his heart, we don't know all the things that was going on in his mind, and no matter how wrong that is, or may have been, is that he uh, could have been doing this to protect her from the public, the incident from public knowledge, and possibly disgracing their family. His motive may also have been to give time for the offense to reach David's ear in judgment. We're just not sure. He hated Amnon for what he did to Tamar, and he ultimately used that hate to take revenge upon bro- his brother by killing him approximately two years later. And that is accounted later on in that chapter from verse 23 to 29. What he ended up doing was getting his brothers isolated away from the place where they resided. Then he provided a way for intoxication to take place of Amnon, and then he had one of his servants kill and murder Amnon. (laughs) Taking revenge in his own hands was not the answer. The law provided a way for punishment, but ultimately, even if justice is not given in this life, Vengeance is the Lord's, Romans 12, 19. And then we have David. You know, oftentimes when we think about King David, we, we talk about his horrific event that took place with Bathsheba. And getting into this, it just brought more light to a lot of the mess that David, you know, entered into in his life. Some of that is just just wasn't as clear as it is reviewing this. David the negligent. David eventually heard about what happened to his daughter Tamar. And I want to say, we have no idea how he heard about it. Uh, The scripture is not clear on that. You know, did David, you know, did Absalom go to David and tell him? It's possible. Did he hear it straight from Tamar? possible or did he hear it from the public knowledge and public ear we are unsure about this but when he heard about it it says that he was wroth. scripture is silent on anything else that happened david did nothing from what we understand to acknowledge the sin that was committed he didn't rebuke or address amnon for the atrocity that he committed or show comfort to his daughter, as far as we know. Under Jewish law, he could have had Amnon cut off from their people, and he should have been. But David did not exercise the judgment of the law, in Leviticus eighteen, twenty-nine. Perhaps having succumbed to his lust in the past to take Bathsheba, and this is conjecture. This is uh, some of these things you just got to. We may never know, but one day. But perhaps having succumbed to the lust in his past to take Bathsheba, he could have felt stripped of the moral fortitude to execute the law. Did having the position of king overpower his lack of discipline to deal with Amnon? Since this would bring reproach upon his family? It's possible. David being king of Israel and their father, had all authority to bring justice to the situation according to the law, which would have cut off his oldest son from Israel. David most certainly dropped the ball, and that's to say it lightly. I can't imagine being a father. And this coming to my ears, and not doing anything. But as far as we know, this is exactly what happened. I think it's of importance to note that David was previously given a lasting punishment by the Lord due to his committing adultery with Bathsheba, and murdering her husband. One of those punishments was that the Lord would, rise, would raise up evil against him from his own house. and you could see that in the 12th chapter verse 11. There was consequences to his sin. The first child that Bathsheba gave birth to died, and this was also given to David because of what he committed. And, you know, I don't know, did, was, did David remember, this must be part of my punishment? I don't know. But most certainly, this evil that has sprung up that we're reading about tonight happened and occurred within his family. Now, Tamar, the innocent one, In Tamar's situation, she was tricked into taking care of her brother, isolated to his room, and forced to lay with her brother. She did all that she could to put a stop to the event, with sound reason and logic, but was unsuccessful. Once confronted, she addressed him as brother, and then tried to argue that doing such a thing is disgraceful, And should not such a thing be done in Israel? In verse 12. I believe that she knew the law forbids a brother to uncover the nakedness of a sister, as mentioned in Leviticus 18 and 11. And I think that to be true because she addressed him as brother. And I think she was very wise in her upbringing as far as acknowledging the law of God. And she was trying to make that clear to him. You're my brother. And this goes against the law of the Lord. Deuteronomy 27, 22 says that a man who does this to his sister will be cursed or is cursed. And then in, in Leviticus 20, Leviticus 20, 17, it also mentions that he shall be cut off if this is to occur. The Lord considers this an abomination, and those who commit such things shall be cut off from among their people. Also reinstating that in 1829 in the the begot of Leviticus. Then she appealed to Amnon. That where would she take her shame? And then she attempted to delay what was about to happen by giving him hope, by offering to speak to their father to make it right. But after the violation and Amnon demanding that she leave, she protests that sending her away is worse, not as a greater sin, but as a great injury to her, that this was done secretly and was now being forced out like she was the one who was the aggressor. I think it's also possible that she understood the law that was stated in Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29. And that states that if a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. This would possibly made a provision for her not to be put away. So from what we know, Scripture says that she remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. We know that through the Lord's help, that she could found, could have found healing and fulfillment in her life and service to Him. But we are, and we have to understand in these situations that we are not left alone, when these horrific things occur. So we get to conclusions and some lessons and some takeaways of this whole event. And I'm sorry, I can't, I can't make this look good to anybody. And, um, but I think there's some lessons in here. And I think there's some lessons in here that we need to con- truly take to heart. Because it's things that are going on all around us. The account of King David's daughter Tamar is riddled with many issues that led to an innocent young lady's life being destroyed. Number one, the devastating effects of allowing lust and sinful thoughts to intrude the mind. Sin will take you further than you want to go and oftentimes affects more than ourselves. We see this both in scripture and in our world today. We are surrounded by temptations, both physically and now, virtually. The normalization of fornication and other sexual sins produces more opportunities, I believe, to indulge in such behavior. It is the will, and I want want us to, God is very clear on these things, folks. It is the will of God that we abstain from sexual immorality. And that comes from 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Did you know that's the will of God? <laughs> it sure is. This applies to both men and women, young and old. None of us are, are above these kind of things. Lust is of this world and not from the Lord. 1 John 2.16 we must understand that when lust conceives, it brings sin. And sin, when it runs its course, brings death. James 1, 15 and 16. But I'm thankful that we have an advocate and we have a way out. We have a way to not be tempted and, well, not to be lured in by this. And, and the Lord tells us very clearly uh, in Galatians five sixteen that to repel the lust of this world... That we are instructed to walk in the Spirit. You know, the adversary sure does have its foothold in our society when it comes to things pertaining to sexual immorality. Brothers and sisters, we need to address these difficult subjects with our families. I want to bring out a, a few stats tonight this may sting a little bit but this is this is the reality that we're living in and if we're going to be t- turn a blind eye to the reality of what's going on around us we're going to fail miserably in, in, in what we're supposed to be as lights for christ in this world sexual abuse and sexual assault are so prevalent in our society statistics say i want you to listen to this, this is unbelievable to me, that one in three women and one in six men become victims of sexual abuse and or sexual assault, and usually before the age of 18. And I want you to know, too, and experts agree, that these numbers are probably very underreported. Most victims are female, and the majority of perpetrators, over 90%, are male. Most of the cases, approximately 80%, is committed by someone she or he knows. I want you to understand that. I want you to hear that, that most of these cases, is not some random person. Sometimes it happens. But a lot of these cases in our today's world, based on these statistics is that it occurs about 80% of the time people that we know. These stats come from the Gospel for Disordered Lives by Jones, Kellen, and Green. And when lust is acted upon, it will bring forth death. Allowing sin to reign will most assuredly separate us from the closeness that Christ wants with us. These are some very alarming numbers. But once again, I'm thankful If you've been saved by God's grace. We have His Spirit to lead us and direct us and to help us to repel the lust that the world portrays upon us. Number two, keeping bad company with ungodly influences. Be careful of who you keep company with. It's important. We tend to grab onto the advice that we want to hear and we'll, just, and we'll justify almost anything if it suits our desire. We have to know that about ourselves. We have to want the truth above all else. Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. We need to be aware of those who we take advice from. Family, friends, and even your own spouse. Though well-intentioned, may offer bad advice. Amnon took advice from his cousin. It says that, that was his friend. And look where that led him. It led him astray, didn't it? It gave him a way out. It gave him a way to act on his lust. I mean, would Amnon have acted on his desire if it wasn't for Jonadab's advice? We don't know. You know, we look at Job. You know, Job and his situation that he... He was in and was stripped down to everything he had. It was all gone. And his wife told him to curse God and die. That wasn't good advice. Listen, you need to look for friends who will encourage you to be more Christ-like. Young people, I want you to understand how important that is for you today. I'm thankful for the youth that are here. You need to seek out. Those who are going to be uplifting, that are going to encourage you to be more Christ-like, and you need to be encouraging to your friends that way. We live in such a wicked society, and it's good to have friends that are right there with you. I'll tell you, I'm thankful for good Christian friends who I know will give me sound advice and will tell me the truth, even if it hurts. You need those kind of friends. When we are walking contrarily to or far from the Lord, it is much easier to be swayed by the cunning words of ungodly influences. Likewise, being ignorant of Scripture in what thus saith the Lord, opens us up to be more susceptible to bad instruction. Proverbs nineteen twenty seven and Psalm 1, 1 through 2. You know, we need to walk close with the Lord and always be praying. We need to get into the Word of God. Study, meditate on His Word. Study more, and then exercise that which you have learned. And I'll tell you, if bad instruction comes your way and bad advice comes to your ears, you're going to be more prepared to identify that advice. You can't just take the word of someone who maybe you respect. You need to know for yourself what thus saith the Lord. Get into the word of God and walk close with him. Thirdly, negligence in upholding God's standards and discipline for sin. You'll find that when you willfully sin and give in to temptations, it will make you more silent in your condemnation of sin in others. Not all the time, but I think sometimes it leads to that. Carrying guilt and shame for past mistakes can affect your ability to defend God's ways and requirements clearly and confidently. Take it all to the Lord. Repent and he will forgive. Psalm 86 5 and 1 John 1 9. It sure is hard to address sin in other people's lives when you're carrying that guilt and shame of your past from your own sin, isn't it? None of us are perfect, but the Lord wants us to repent of our sin if we have committed it. 1 John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The other part of this, and I guess that we most certainly see out of David, is the lack of discipline and consequences for sin will lead to disastrous effects. If you are in a position of leadership, I want you to listen to this. If you are in a position of leadership, you must be able to handle the hardest of issues that come up, even if it's your own family, and could cause public humiliation and shame. We are instructed to exercise discipline with our children and discipline within the church. We laid out scripture proof for these things. Being in positions of power, such as the head of the household, being a pastor, being a public figure, fill in the blank can bring extra pressure when sin is exposed within the family, within the church or any other public domain. How you handle sin when it comes up among your family and your church, etc, is of utmost importance. We can't give passes and excuses to family when sin arises. I've seen it, and I'm sure you have too. Whether it's common and acceptable in society or not, it does not matter. We cannot allow it to go on. We have to love the truth more than the consequences that come with the sinful acts of family members, church members, whatever it may be. The Lord has standards that we all must uphold within the home, church, and society as a whole. We have a great responsibility. I have noticed in my lifetime both a lack of discipline in raising children and in exercising discipline within the church. The Lord has laid out for us instructions on both of these accounts. When we let discipline slide, families, churches suffer. When sin is tolerated and allowed to remain, damage will occur. And we need to address these things, brothers and sisters. And fourth, revenge. It's easy to want to take matters into our own hands and to feel justified in doing so. No matter what comes, we must reassure ourselves with the word of God that he sees everything and that the ultimate judge will punish those who do wickedly. Romans 12, 19, 1 Peter 3, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. You know, as a father... And it's hard not to put yourself in these situations. It would be very difficult not to handle this situation if I was in it myself. We must be, we must in everything that is in us be careful to keep our own bodies into subjection, even in this most... Horrific circumstances. Paul tells us in First Corinthians 9:27 is, "But I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. It's important to hold up our character, and we have to truly rely and understand that the Lord as the perfect judge will punish the wicked. Asaph had that realization. I think it was that in the 73rd Psalm. When he saw how the world and the wicked were prospering and they were getting along in this world and having everything and seemed to be merry and going about their their business. And the Lord showed him what their end is going to be. Finally, the account of Tamar is a poignant and tragic event, highlighting the consequences of lust, deceit, and revenge within the family of King David. So much hurt, heartache, and destruction came upon this family because of multiple individuals failing to act in a God-honoring way when given an opportunity. There was many, I mean, you think of David's life, I don't think the clock is working, just so you know. So that means I've got a lot of time. You look at David, and, and you start with with his sin that he committed with Bathsheba, and you look at all the things that happened, just in a short period of time, relatively speaking, from that, those sins that he committed and and then the sins, you know, of his daughter and what happened to her. His oldest son and what he did to his daughter. You think about his other son, Absalom, who, <clears throat> you know, because of, of the lack, I believe, the lack of discipline and the lack of action of David to take care and remedy that action that took place, I think spurned Absalom's hate, not only for his brother, but I think for his, for his daddy too. And if you read further on, Absalom rose, was rising up against his daddy and tried to take the kingdom. I mean, it, it was a bad situation. You see all of this because of the effects of sin. Not dealing with sin. It wasn't isolated It affected many. But as far as Tamar, man, the life of Tamar is a heartbreaking reminder that dreadful things sometimes happen to good and godly people. Being victimized in this way can bring shame, despair, and hopelessness. These are common responses to sexual violations and most certainly can be long lasting. Only God's grace and healing coupled with God's word can restore our sense of self-worth provide a fresh beginning. The whole tragic event points to the world's great need for a redeemer. I'm thankful that there is a redeemer. I'm thankful for the grace of God and that he's able to Be with us in the worst of of situations in life, I'd say, in my opinion, aside from murder, this is one of the worst things that could probably happen to somebody. We need not to turn a blind eye to what's going on around us. We have those that have been victimized, even within our churches some you don't even know about because they're afraid to speak up? Personally, I had an acquaintance that somewhat recently tell me about 25, 26, 27 years ago that they were violated in this way and haven't said anything until now. I couldn't believe it. There's help out there. And there's most certainly help when we turn to the Lord.